0: Teach us how to abide. That we would be in your presence. That we would be with you, the well that never runs dry. That you would create in us a well of living water. For all those who are thirsty, will you give us this fulfillment? For all those who are weary, will you draw us close so we can find rest? For us who are longing, Can we find our fulfillment and our hope in you? That refrain, I depend on you, Lord. That is our truth today. We depend on you desperately. In our family, in our household, in our lives, we depend on you. So, Lord, help us to be people of dependency. Looking to you for our full hope. We prepare to transition into this word. We depend on you there also. I depend on you. Hide me behind the throne of your grace. Reveal your words to us today. And help us to leave this place as those who have been, experienced your light, who've been filled by your light, as we leave this place to go into a dark world. So Lord, bless us now in this place. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your seat. Well, Cross Community Church, it is a privilege and honor to be with you. As Pastor Taylor said, my name is and Wilson. Everybody calls me J. Will. Uh, y'all are in for, I hope, in for a treat. I was actually half-sleep the first service. I needed coffee. I was like, why am I seeing double lines? Oh, I haven't drank coffee this morning. This is the beauty of having a 4 p.m. service is uh, we get up later in the day, so getting up early in the morning for two services. like, man, I got to get in the swing of this for when we move to a morning service. Uh, As he told you my name is Jerry Wilson. I'm the pastor of City of Refuge Church in the Eau Claire community of Columbia, South Carolina. Um, If you're not familiar with Eau Claire, that doesn't ring a bell. Um, Have you ever seen a show called Live PD? There's always a small little tremor because a couple of people have seen the show and they they're, they're ashamed to say they're fans. Uh, well, a good part of that show was actually recorded at this gas station called the Obama gas station. Um, we're planted a mile away from there. That is actually our target mission area. Um, Eau Claire is a unique and interesting place. Uh, many pla- people would call it a dark and dangerous place. Excuse me while I take a sip of water. Thank y'all for holding off on me. But uh, many people will call it a dark and dangerous place. Uh, many... W- do not see that as a place they will want to live and raise children. Um, we were crazy enough at first. It was just we were moving to a place to, because that's what we could afford back in 2012. Uh, but over time, the Lord broke our hearts, and we said, and, and right now we can't see ourselves living anywhere but Eau Claire. Crazy enough, and raise our child and our family. I have my lovely wife Crystal with us, and our son Zion is at home uh, preparing for us to come home so he can smother us with hugs and kisses and ask us what we brought him, Uh, and we're going to be like nothing. Uh, (laughs) Money to pay the bills, that's what we brought you, son. All right. But uh, just to give you a better picture of Eau Claire and to help uh, paint the picture of our time today, um, in August of 2018, the state newspaper wrote an article called Columbia's Most Dangerous Neighborhood. Uh, One of the neighborhoods in this article was a neighborhood called North Point Estates, uh, which was previously known as the Bishop located off of Beltline, um, which is right behind another notorious neighborhood in our area called the Colonies. And this, and our neighborhood was the third part of that neighborhood. It kind of makes up a triangle. If you know where 255 is, uh, for those who've been through Columbia, all of what we reach is right there on the edges of 255. But this article, it highlighted the drug usage in this area, the gang violence, prostitution, and just, that's just to name a few of the depraved and godless acts. Now, this was a 2018 article, but I could tell you over the past few weeks uh, something that has happened recently in our area. Uh, In the past two months, we've had about eight murders, and then uh, over the past few weeks, we just prayed over a a lady who was set on fire by her husband. This is our community. Uh, This is where we call home. And again, based off this article and off of my personal stories— many of you might think no person in their right mind would want to do anything with this area. This is what we call church-deprived. I mean, what we call God-depraved. Uh, the beauty of us thinking things are God-depraved in this message is going to tell us there is no such thing as a place that God, that's God-depraved, but there's many places that's church-depraved. The churches will come to these communities, come to our community, do many charitable events, but wouldn't often stay around when the streetlights came on. This community, our community, is what we consider a dark place in our city. But our community and communities Just like it here in Beaufort and around the world is exactly the places that Jesus is equipping his saints to go into and call us to be a mission. And he is calling us to go into dark and depraved places. And that is where we find ourselves in the text today. Jesus is taking his disciples, those who call him king, into a dark community and declaring this is where my church will be built. Starting off in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16, we see Jesus taking his disciples into an area called Caesarea Philippi. This whole passage is pretty famous because of the declaration, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Our Catholic brothers see this as, a, as the Peter being the rock of the church. But actually as we walk through the passage, we will see how it's not about Peter at all actually but it's about the declaration of who Jesus is and how he is crushing every idol. And we start off in Caesarea Philippi. In Caesarea Philippi, he took them and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? First thing we want to point out is in Caesarea Philippi, a little background of this place, this is a city that's about 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee and found at the base of Mount Harmon. And at the base of Mount Harmon, there is this cave that feeds into the Jordan River, and in that cave is a temple that's been carved to a pagan, god, a pagan god named Pan. Pan is the false god of fertility. And on the walls of this temple, there is like a billboard of all the ways you can worship this false god from prostitution to bestiality, just to name a few. Many, matter of fact, one of the terrible things about this area is one every year they have a huge festival as they worship Pan, and they have this huge male member that, that's created out of stone, and they've paraded around town. they paraded around in front of this temple praying that this God would give them fertility. This is where Jesus takes his disciples and asks a question, who do these people say that I am? Jesus, to this day, is still asking this very question in dark areas, who do these people say that I am? In Eau Claire, he is asking the question, who do these people say that I am? And in Beaufort, South Carolina, he is asking the exact same question to us. Who do these people say that I am? And the disciples... Probably confused, and would be. We would probably be confused if Jesus asked the same question to us. They said to him, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets." This question and response reveals to us two things. Number one, God's glory is spreading everywhere even before the message gets there. That means God is already presently doing a work in all of our earth, in all of our world, even before the mission of the the gospel gets there before the declaration of his gospel gets there. So even before the cross-community church was planted, even before Eau Claire uh, and before before City of Refuge, Belmont is where we're meeting y'all, but before City of Refuge was planted, the gospel was already going forth, God was already preparing the ground and there was a declaration that God is here even before we got there. This should just help us understand that Jesus is already doing a work. It's not us starting a new thing, but it's us catching up with what God has already taken place. This is why C.S. Lewis says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. God's presence is spreading even before his church. He gets there to declare his name. And because his presence is spreading, because he's revealing his nature, that's why sin, when people say, well, what about those who've never heard the gospel? They still stand under God's wrath because they have no excuse. Paul writes this in Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 20. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. Even before our church got there, God was already sending a beacon saying, look to me, look to my glorious name, look, I am God, Ray, come to me. He was saying that to those in Eau Claire even before we got there. He was revealing his name in Eau Claire before we got there. So when those who have died before we got there Dying and go to hell is because they did not accept a wonderful king, but praise God, he loved them so much that he sent messengers to Eau Claire. And praise God, he loved people in Beaufort so much, he sent a church to Beaufort to declare his name. How did he do this? Well, after he asked the question, who do these people say that I am? He turned and looked at his disciples the same way he's probably still turning and looking at us. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Um, When he's saying you, he's not directing it at anyone in particular. He's talking to the whole crowd. And the the southern slang, he's probably saying, who y'all say I am? He's asking them this question that he's still asking us. So we started off with he asked, who do they say I am? Those who are in the darkness. Now you who say you are in the light, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, listen, I love Simon Peter. He gives me hope. (laughs) Because as many times as Simon messed up and Jesus still used the mess up like him, I have hope. He has, I say he has peppermint socks. He's known for putting his foot in his mouth. We we see that in the way that Jesus rebuked him in a couple passages later when he says, Satan, get behind me. We see this in Galatians chapter two when Paul said, I had to stand before Peter's face and rebuke him to his face because of how he's acting. Peter messes up all the time. But that should give you and me hope because we mess up all the time and get it wrong all the time. But we have an opportunity to get it right. And this is one of the opportunities that Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to Jesus' response. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What Jesus is declaring to him is, guess what? You're not that smart that you just get it. But it was revealed to you. Because you're mine. As we were seeing it early, you are mine because you abide in the branch. The only way to get into the branch is if the, if the vine dresser brings you in himself. And that is what Jesus is telling Peter. The reason you know this is because my father who is in heaven has revealed this. Earlier, Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Family, you and I, we are not that great that we just get it. But we're people that the light has revealed itself to and drawed us close to and now we get to make declaration he is the king he is the son of god he is the holy one he is the anointed one the messiah the one we have all been waiting on this is the truth that me and you live in and we are blessed because of it but because we are blessed because of it we can't escape that question of who do they say that i am No, that question still lingers on, and Jesus holds that question up as, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? Okay, praise God. You made the right decision. you've, You've answered the right way. Now, let me tell you what this blessing entails. Look at verse 18 with me. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. This is where I talked about uh, the, the declaration of the Catholic church that says Peter is the foundation of the church. Actually, this is not what's happening here. It's kind of a play on word. Peter's name is a word, Petros. It's actually two Greek words that sound the same and Jesus is trying to paint a picture. Petros is a, a, a very small, uh, a, a weak little pebble It's a little pebble you would just pick up along the way and throw as you're walking by. This is why Jesus is saying, hey, you are a little pebble, but upon this rock I will build my church. Remember where they're in, where they're at, at Caesarea Philippi. They are at where Mount Harmon is, where this cave that is directed to the pagan god Pan is, which is a cave that is built out of stone, and there's this little, little stream, this little river that runs out of that feeds the Jordan. Right here, he's saying, you see this temple, this idol, pagan place? This is where I'm building my church with little stones like you. So the word Peter is Petros, and the word uh, and the word rock is Petro. So he's saying, "I'm using little stones like you to build my church on idol, pagan worship places like this." Jesus declaring war against idols and pagan worship, everything that is not like Him. He's like, "I'm going to crush the idols of this world. It will be before beneath my feet." I will destroy it. I'm going to use little pebbles like you. We actually see this same thing in First Peter chapter 2, where Peter says that as you come to him, a living stone, a little pebble rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. Being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, accepting to God through Jesus Christ. Peter writes later in his message that what Jesus is trying to reveal right here, he's saying, I'm going to use the rejects like you to declare my name is great. I'm going to crush the idols of this world with people like you, which means Jesus is also coming against the idols in us. He has to deal with our idols first. He has to deal with our comforts first. He has to deal with everything we run to for worship first so that he can use us to deal with every idol of this world. That means Jesus is coming after you and saying, I'm gonna crush that thing you run to. The politics you run to, I'm gonna crush. That's why governments will be on his shoulders pornography that you run to for sexual pleasure, I'm going to crush. That's why he says you should have a heart that desires only your wife, only your spouse. Those relationships you run to to find the release, I'm going to crush. Every idol that you run to, all the money that you run to, everything that you run to, I'm going to get rid of, and I'm going to reign above it. I will be the king who has no name greater than mine. And he's saying that on top of this literal temple to a pagan God and said, I'm going to use little pebbles like you and this temple will fall. This dark area will be mine. There is no grade of glass, small grass grade. I can't get the word out. A little piece of grass that Jesus doesn't say is mine. I don't know why I couldn't say blade of grass, but (laughs) there's no area that Jesus doesn't say, that's mine. So in Eau Claire, he's saying, I'm going to destroy the idols of this land, and it's mine. And to further build my case on how do I believe he's talking about this temple, he talks about, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember that little stream that runs out of this temple into the Jordan River? This is literally what they call the gates of hell. That stream feeds, comes from the gates of hell. It's supposed to be the the access to the spirit realm where the demons come into our world or these pagan gods have access to our world and can interact with man. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna crush that and show there's no other God but me. I'm gonna break this down and the gates of hell gonna try its best to stop it, but I, nah, my. That's why I even can tell you some of the hard stories about planting in Eau Claire. I can praise God that I can see the gates of hell not prevailing. The reason we were able to pray for that lady who was set on fire by her husband is because those in the community, when they saw us prayer walking, they said, hey, ain't y'all the one that be out here praying? Come here. We need you to pray for her. We we need you to bring hope to her. They saw hope in this dark area, and they said, we need that. Bring that here, because obviously everything we have isn't working. Drinking is not working. Drugs is not working. Prostitution is not working. All these things are failing, but I need that. That king you say you declare. and That's why we say in Buford, the gates of hell is not prevailing here. People who are moving here from Charleston, because Charleston's super expensive, so everybody who's moving here to find comfort, (laughs) comfort, the idol comfort is being crushed because the gospel is being preached here, and his name is being declared everywhere, and everyone who comes here looking for comfort but feeling so dissatisfied can hear about the one who truly comforts. He's crushing that idol also, and he's using little pebbles like me, you, Our little church that's being built up, your church that's being built up, and we're professing the gates of hell will not prevail here. The gospel will go forth. And then he takes it a step further. He doesn't just say that he's going to use little throwaway pebbles like us, but he also gives us power. Verse 19, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the first place he uses the language, but he uses it again in Matthew chapter 18, where he starts talking about church discipline and bringing people into reconciliation. So when he talks about what's bound on heaven, and the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever bind on, on earth is bound in heaven, whatever loosed on earth is loosed on heaven, he says, I'm going to respond to your prayers, Whenever you pray for the lost, I will use your prayers in the gospel proclamation through you to open their eyes and they will be loosed in heaven and hopefully they will be loosed on earth and they will become a part of the church. But also, when those who declare that they are mine, and they say they are Christians, whenever they act unchristlike, like when we pray and say, you're bound, from the, you're bound from the church right now, you are under church discipline, that is also bound before heaven. And this is not to push them out like it's a social club, but so that they could come into repentance and be loosed again. He gave the church that power. Literally, our prayers are responded to. I'm going to tell you a dangerous prayer to pray. Pray for an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. See how he responds. Because what's loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. Many of you are like, I ain't praying that. <laughs> but he listens to our prayers. Also, pray for those unrepentant brothers who say they're Christians, but they might be acting other way. Pray for them so that they can come into reconciliation. He listens to your prayers and he has given you keys of the kingdom of heaven. He uses throwaway stones like you and I so that we can a- answer that question, who do they say he is? And he is using us to bring in alignment who they say he is, who we say he is, and all come to worship at his feet so that as we read early in Philippians, one day all tongues will confess, all knees will bow. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one who sits in glory. And we will also be glorified with him. We will sit with him in heavenly places as it says in Ephesians. Church, cross, community, you and I have been given an assignment, a mission here on earth. We have been literally sent to declare war against the spiritual forces in this world. And he's doing that through the church. This is literally the first time he says the ch- church in the gospel, the word ecclesia, ecclesia. It's a secular word of their time. That means gathering of people to make big declarations or big decisions. So it's those who's been called out to gather together. But when they've been gathering together, it's for the purpose of something to take place in the world. It was actually a political, uh, political word that was used uh, when juries would kind of be gathered together so they can make a judgment call on something. Isn't it funny, that's the same thing that God calls his people, what he calls the church, this gathering of people who have a purpose here on earth. Are you living under that purpose? Are you making that declaration that he is king? Are you asking your neighbors who do they say he is? If you aren't, why not? as we prepare to end verse 20 it says then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the christ now i don't know if that confused you as much as it confused me the first time i read it i'm like jesus you have just declared all out war against the idols of this world how you're pushing into the darkness why would you tell your disciples after saying all this don't tell nobody now But see, as we go on in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that at this point he's telling them this thing, but they haven't experienced it firsthand yet. See, Peter is making the right declaration now, but he doesn't know what it means to be redeemed until after he rejects Christ. After he failed and he saw that Jesus is a redeemer. The disciples had not yet been scattered, running away when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and had not been redeemed and brought back into the fold yet. So they had not experienced firsthand what his redemptive power actually was. Maybe the reason you today have not gone and tell your neighbors who you say he is is because you also have not experienced his redemptive power yet. Maybe that's where you are today. But if you do declare that he is the king, I want to tell you, this is a military town, so congratulations, you've been given marching orders. If he tells you that he is the king, well, guess what? He has now called you to declare war on the brokenness of your community and the brokenness of your city. He has called us at City of Refuge to declare brokenness in the Eau Claire community to go forth and to spread the gospel everywhere we can say this is his, and praise God, his kingdom continues to expand but he didn't just call us there he called you here maybe you're not going to go to the eau claire community and and help us spread the gospel i would love for you to come down if you ever want to come to city of refuge come on down i will happily show you around take you to a good dinner i got a place that's better than chick-fil-a i'm happy to take you but while you're here in beaufort there's some dark places in your area that you might have been avoiding this whole time. And he's like, no, no, no. Go over there and find out who do they say I am. And then you live as my person who says that I am, the Christ. Maybe there are some people in your neighborhood that you've been avoiding at all costs. Just every time they come around, they're awkward. I know a couple of them. But that's who Jesus might be calling you to tell, go spend some time with. And tell them who I am. And ask them, who do they say I am? Maybe it's family members that we just avoid. Family can be hard, especially when we are evangelizing and talking about Jesus because religion and politics always make family things blow up. I know. I've been in those conversations. But yet, Jesus has called us not to avoid places and people like that, but to tell them who do we say that he is. If you are his... If you have made that proclamation that he is Christ, the king, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on, then you've been given marching orders. But if you haven't made that profession, if you don't know yet, well, I praise God that you're here. I praise God that even while you're in the darkness, you have walked into this room full of light. And I can tell you about this wonderful king who knew no sin who came from perfection was God from the beginning as God for all of eternity was always present how he stepped down to earth sent by his wonderful father our wonderful father the son came down lived the perfect life that un- we are unable to live yet died the death that we rightfully deserve took on himself our sins. The one who knew no sins became all sins so that all who accept will be his and will be glorified with him. He took it on himself on a cross. Our sins died on the cross. Gave up his last breath after saying, it is finished, that the work was complete, went in the grave, and when he went in the grave, our sins went in the grave also. They went there, they died there, and praise God, when he got up, they stayed there. And all who accept his glorious grace that has been poured out for us, our sins stay dead, we become alive in him and through him. If you have not experienced him today, you can experience him right now. You can ask to pray with one of, the, one of the people around the room or later when we're taking communion. Ask them to pray with you. Ask that your eyes be open by, to this grace. That you can experience him and know him. And I hope after you know him today, in a few weeks, we get to testify of wonderful baptisms that take place because many have decided to follow. But once you become here, Once you leave the gathered saints, we are scattered to live as his saints throughout the city. To tell this declaration of who he is, who he is to us, and how others can know him for themselves. So I give you this in the end. I call this a sticky note. A sticky note, for those who don't know, a sticky note, you kind of put this at the bottom of your computer screen to help you remember something as you're going throughout your day. Usually it's the thing your wife told you to pick up from the store or it's the, uh, the thing you've got to remember, the, the email you're supposed to send. It's to help you remember this. See, the sticky note is the church of those who have been called out of darkness, we were once in darkness also, and made into light that he's sinning to wage war against the darkness. We weren't just called out so we could be in a holy huddle, but we've been called out, given marching orders to go out. That's, Why we come to church on Sundays to be edified and built up, equipped for the work of ministry. That's why we come to small groups to be edified, built up, to even talk about how hard it is and be encouraged through the singing of hymns, the preaching of the word, the reading and admonishment of the word. That's why we come together, to be built up, to be reminded of the glorious king that we serve so we could be sent out into the darkness, invite others in. So church, what's keeping you from going into the darkness? Maybe that's something you need to spend some time working with the Lord with. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you have called us into your marvelous light, that we are now, as Ephesians say, children of light, being built up for your work. Father, we are unable to do this work in our own strength. That is why we're so happy that all authority is in your son's hands and that he is with us to the end of the age. He is already preparing the way as we leave this place to preach your word. Father, for those who are yours, help us to have hearts of encouragement to go and preach your word faithfully, to go into the dark places, the places we refuse to go, and tell them about this wonderful King who comes to tear down our idols. And Lord, for those who may not be yours yet, we pray today that you are crushing their idols and they are seeing their desperate need for you. That they are turning away from their sins and running to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that your word was preached faithfully, that we were edified and we are equipped and charged to look onto you as we worship you in spirit and truth. So be with us as we continue to worship and sing your wonderful praises through song. I lift all these things up to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen.